0: Hey everyone, this is Dr. Cheryl Selman and welcome to The Love Code. Thank you for joining me for another exciting episode in this amazing show. If you are new to the show, I want to welcome you because The Love Code is a new program on PRN. It's a wonderful inspirational show, and I just want you to know that this program is very special to me, and it's special because it's an opportunity to, first of all, put together some of the latest understanding from quantum science and merging it with ancient wisdom, and I really find in my life that the ancient wisdoms, whether it's from the traditional Um, wisdoms of the East, from China, from India, from uh, the shaman, deep in the Amazon, which I have experienced, they all are speaking a similar language, but it's a language that's very different from the language we normally speak in our day-to-day life, and yet it's a language and a wisdom that holds the answers and the healings and the transformations that really are available to us to heal anything. That could be a health challenge, a relationship challenge, a financial challenge. So this is a program that's going to inspire you, first of all. It's going to educate you, help you to transform and shift some of your paradigms and how you think about things. But most of all, the Love Code is an opportunity to put into practice some of the most powerful yet simple tools to really bring about healing in your life. And as this show continues over the weeks, months ahead, I really invite you to take one of the practices that we will be sharing with you during each show and try it, do it, give it a go. Because when you put into practice, even if you don't believe it's going to do a thing, See what happens. I promise you some miracles can happen in your life. And when they do, I really want to hear from you. So the best way to stay in touch with me is to go over to my website, which is Dr. drcherylfillman.com. D-R-S-H-E-R-R-I-L-L Selman S-E-L-L-M-A-N I always like to spell it out because no one ever spells my first name correctly. So it's D-R-S-H-E-R-R-I-L-L S-E-L-L-M-A-N Go over there to my brand new website. Opt in there because then you'll be sent the shows every week. You'll be sent this show and the other show that I have been doing for a long, long time on PRN which is What Women Must Know. So you'll get those shows, and you won't miss an episode. And that is the way to get in touch with me through my website. And I would love to hear from you and love to hear some of the miracles of healing and transformation that are occurring in your life. So we're going to hear about more miracles today. We're going to be talking about the healing from obsessive-compulsive disorder with my very special guest today, uh, David Lush. Um, you know, I looked up some stats about obsessive-compulsive disorder, OCD, and it is estimated that 2.2 million Americans suffer from OCD. And most of the time when it's diagnosed, it's in early, early, early childhood or early teenage years. And when you get a diagnosis of OCD, it's really considered a lifelong condition, and it has to be managed mostly through medications, which can have some uh, serious side effects so it's a you know it's a really scary diagnosis to have, and it can have such disruption in one's life. so we're going to be talking to my guest today who was diagnosed with this condition and healed it. So let me just tell you a little bit about my guest. David Lush is a widely recognized top teacher at Master Shah's Tao Academy, a soul practitioner and author. He travels worldwide offering Tao wisdom and has trained thousands of soul practitioners and teachers. His personal journey of healing and transformation is deeply inspiring and motivating. David has a a Bachelor of Science in Business Administration from California State University and worked in the high-tech industry. So as a child, David went through um, life suffering from an incurable mental disorder that he was supposed to manage and suffer for the rest of his life. At the age of 10, David started suffering from negative, obsessive thoughts, fears, worries, anxieties, and compulsions of counting and touching things. Two years later, he was diagnosed with obsessive-compulsive disorder. After suffering for over half his life, he met Dr. and Master Shah, who helped him transform and heal his condition. Today, Master David, as he is known, empowers people to remove their suffering and overcome their life challenges. He offers blessings, life and spiritual guidance, mentoring, and teachings. So it's my great pleasure to welcome David Lush to the show today. Hello, David.
1: Hello, Dr. Cheryl. It's an honor and pleasure to be with you.
0: Well, it's uh, wonderful to have you on the show. I know you're a really busy guy and traveling around the world and spend most of your time in Europe, but right now you're visiting with your family in California, so I've caught you at just the right time (laughs) to have you on the show. So um, so David, your story I heard a little bit about your story at uh, the retreat I was at with you and uh, Dr. Master Shah, but um, it was just a little snippet. So why don't you fill us in? Tell us what your experience was, because um, before we get into that, that statistic that I looked at at 2.2 million Americans I didn't even look at what's happening over in Europe or uh, elsewhere but 2.2 million uh, Americans are diagnosed with OCD. And that just seems like a lot a lot of people, especially because people are so young when they're diagnosed
1: children you know it's it is, and that's the thing. those are the ones that are diagnosed. How many more have not been diagnosed and have learned to live or or cope in their life with o c d or for that matter matter any other mental illness or disorder? So for for myself, I was um, diagnosed around the age of thirteen. Yet my suffering started around the age of ten. So was there anything that
0: initiated this change of behavior that, that you know emerged into this diagnosis? Was there an event that occurred, or nothing that you can put your finger on?
1: There actually was something that that happened, and. Um, there was a young girl about one year older than me, so maybe around the age of 11, um, who was kidnapped in the city next to where I grew up. And so I grew up in Fremont, California. And so in Hayward, California, there was this young girl who was pulled off the side of a street when she was walking into a car by a man and kidnapped and so that's very scary um to hear these type of stories and what happened was my mother and I we were in a restaurant called Big Daddy's Big Daddy's is no longer there but it, Big Daddy's was a restaurant for a long time in in Fremont and I was eating ice cream and anyone who knows me knows I love ice cream I've loved ice cream my whole life it's my favorite dessert I just love ice cream and so I was eating an ice cream cone with my mom and I love ice cream and I turned my head to the left and there on the wall was the police sketch of the kidnapper and I literally froze I paralyzed and this negative feeling came into me or was activated in within me however you want to say it and i became paralyzed and i became very afraid a lot of fear was rushing through me and i felt sick to my stomach so much that i didn't want to finish my ice cream i I told my mom you know, let's go. And I threw it away. And I went home. And I lied in bed for three or four hours, however long it was, holding my stomach. I was just in terror. I was in fear and pain. And after that day, is when the obsessions and the compulsions began. And they began in, in different forms, in different ways. I was in fourth grade, I believe, when they they first started. And they would start with little things such as when you're playing tetherball on the playground or, you know, tag, touch football or another sport such as you would have a thought if you don't do this, the other team's going to score and then you would do it and they don't score. And it started to increase and I had many thoughts such as you're going to be kidnapped or you're going to be kidnapped, molested and killed. And that's how the obsession started. That then went into various compulsions.
0: That's so interesting. Do you think it was like it was like initiated by a type of almost like a post-traumatic stress event? It was for whatever reason. It was like so shocking to you that a lot of things got triggered within.
1: I would say, I definitely believe in spiritual blockages and blockages in the soul, heart, mind, and body that were activated and triggered from what I personally believe, past lives. Mm -hmm. Although at the time, I, I didn't know about past lives. And, you know, I grew up in an incredible neighborhood and I have the most loving parents. My mom, my dad, my grandparents are incredibly loving. And what happened was I was treated very equally fairly with my sister very loving and so there was nothing really in this life that you could pinpoint anything to that would be triggered from earlier years i mean i was I was only 10 years old so it wasn't too much before then
0: <laughs> so 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 that for how for whatever reason you had a triggering event that activated this dynamic going on within you.
1: Most and, and definitely. The,
0: and the physiological changes that accompany it. So so at 13, you were diagnosed. And ha- how did this show up in your life?
1: It showed up in so many different ways where, for me, the, the obsessions obviously were the, the negative, unpleasant voices or thoughts in your head. And they literally... You know, they they started, obviously, a little less, and then day after day they grew to where they was pretty much every waking moment of your life. And the compulsions were, for me, I developed touching and counting type of system, which I had a special number, and that number was four. And so what I discovered was when you t- touched or counted things and the number of four, that real experience of the fear, worry, anxiety, that's the OCD cycle, fear, worry, anxiety, rushing through you and then the chemicals obviously release in the different glands and parts of your body and your brain, it, it would momentarily stop and that would go away. And it's not logical. You hear this, it's like, how can you touch things or count things four times? How does that work? It, I, for me, and probably for anyone who suffered from an OCD, it doesn't matter how it worked because you just don't want to feel the way you feel inside, and you're looking to get out of that inner prison. And eventually, it moved into multiples of four, where four didn't always work. So then you would try eight. And if eight didn't work, you'd go to 12 and you would just keep going to 64 to 400. I remember sometimes I was counting 1,200, 1,600. And it would just be nonstop. So I also had like these grids in my head, right? You had like, you would find lines connected to like objects in in the environment, whether it was like a telephone pole or like the cracks in the sidewalk, you know, like the cracks on the. The sidewalk, or or whatever things you, you could form grids in your head in the, in the in the room. You have like dressers, you have doors, and so you would have grids. And inside those grids, I would have to maybe touch sometimes four or more, eight, twelve, whatever it was. And and all the time you're getting the these incredible thoughts, these these fears, these worries. And the thing about OCD is you still have logic. You still have common sense. So what you know actually seems pretty crazy. It doesn't seem logical. But you do it because you just don't want to feel the way you do inside. And you're also often trying to hide it from others because you know what you're doing is kind of off. It doesn't make sense. And so you're still being normal. You're trying to hide it. You're trying not to show it because you still have common sense, and that's what's fascinating about OCD, is it's a a mental disorder where you're still in touch with reality, and that's why I wasn't diagnosed to the age of 13, because I didn't tell anyone, and I didn't want my mom to know, I didn't want my dad to know, but eventually it became known, because you would take showers at the age of 11 or 12 for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, you know, you would put you would take an hour to get ready. I, I I remember vividly one time I was so lost in my, in my, in the OCD cycle that I walked out for school one day, and I forgot to put my pants on. I had my socks on, I had my shoes on. My mom looks at me and says, "Where are your pants?" <laughs> and I was, they didn't even know what to say because you can imagine the look on my face. Oh my gosh, does she know? Has she figured something out? And you go, you put your pants on, you go to school, and, and eventually. You know, my parents, they watched my behavior, they had their conversations, and I was taken to a psychiatrist where I was diagnosed.
0: It must have been so hard as a kid in school because you're trying to hide these repetitive behaviors which make you look really different and bizarre, which
1: adds to the anxiety and fear that you're already dealing with. That's exactly the truth because you're trying to be normal. And because I got pretty good grades, largely A's and B's, I was also able to not get maybe caught or detected by the the school system Mm -hmm. because I was performing at a high level. So even if I looked distracted or not there, I was still able to also study and learn and get good grades. So there was an ability... What you learn with OCD, at least for me, I can't speak for everyone, is you learn how actually how to multitask very well.
0: Wow. So when you were diagnosed and uh, um, it was decided that you needed medication, so what was that like?
1: Well, I was probably one of the worst rebellious patients you could have. <laughs> mm-hmm. I remember... Um, Well, first, when I took the exam, because it was an exam, I, I didn't know what was going on fully other than I was going to the psychiatrist. My parents had figured out something was wrong, and I was put in a room to take a multiple choice examination that I hadn't studied for, and this is the only exam in my whole life I've ever taken without studying, and I knew all of the right answers. And so what happened was um, I remember I was on, like, question seven, and I had the thought, maybe I should answer all of these wrong, and then I won't get diagnosed. But then another <laughs> another thought came, which was, um, well, we don't want to live like this forever, so let's <laughs> see what happens. And I remember because I don't remember how long it was. It might have been a week or two or three weeks before I got the results and when the doctor told me I had an explosion of anger and I just yelled and I ran out of the room and I was crying and I remember the place we were at it was on the second floor and there was a you know like a walkway balcony on the outside and I just was out there and I was looking up at the stars and it just felt like my whole world had crashed down And there was anger, there was sadness. Of course, there was still fear and worry because of the unknown, you know, at age 13. And then uh, not only that, you're at that age where you're developing into a teenager, so many things are also changing in your life. So it was hard. And I remember that I, I asked my parents, and they promised they wouldn't tell others. I had a diagnosis, including family members. Although, you know, they weren't totally in agreement, but they respected my wishes because I didn't want to be labeled. I didn't want to be labeled in school. I didn't want to be labeled by family or friends or neighbors. That that's oh, that's David with his OCD or whatever, you know. Because it's also in when, when you have a, a diagnosis, it's also um, what happens or what can happen is that. Things are easily pushed to the side and rationalized as a diagnosis, not just with OCD, it could be with ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, it can be with people with dementia or whatever. And you don't, then you don't, maybe aren't as heard as much for what you're trying to express, because people don't listen as much. They just think it's your your illness talking. Sometimes it could be, for sure. Other times it's not. And so we actually didn't even talk about it, because I didn't want that. Mhm.
0: Mm-hmm. So what did they do when you were diagnosed?
1: Um, when I was diagnosed, they course recommended medication and basically anything the doctor said i did the opposite at first because i was angry (laughs) i wasn't very good but you know the doctor said take medication i said no he said do this i was like no i was like a defiant rebellious hurt child and i remember that um at the same time i was in my inner dialogue And I was not really talking to my parents or anyone too much. Or if they tried to talk to you, you give the short answers because you don't want to talk. And I remember that I was looking at my life because uh, I was wondering, well, how am I going to live my life this way? Because even though you're diagnosed, the obsessions and the compulsions were continuing and... What the difference was now you knew you had a mental disorder, and when you're 13, that doesn't sound very promising or bright for your future. It doesn't really fulfill all those dreams you had inside. No one really dreams of having a mental disorder, as far as I know. And you know, you're not in school thinking, What am I going to be when I grow up? Oh, I want to be someone with a mental disorder. You don't think that way. And so it, it causes you to reevaluate, even at that age, who you are, what you're doing, what is your life going to be about? Why is this happening to me? And you go through a very deep inner process with a lot of questions unanswered. You know, for example, I, you know, you, many people ask, why did this happen? Well, for me, I was incredibly loved by my family. My sister and I were treated largely equally, and my grandparents loved us. So there's nothing in the family you could blame or or pinpoint on. Uh, I played in the same neighborhood with my sister. We had friends. I went to the same schools. I ate the same food. There wasn't anything in the environment. There wasn't anything in the school system. As When you looked around, you know, because you have it, you're looking to see if other kids have it. Unless they were hiding it better than me, I couldn't figure out if they had it. And so there was nothing in this life you could pinpoint anything on to say why I had OCD. So these questions went unanswered. And I remember thinking about my life and I was, Am I really going to want to do this in 10 years, 20 years? How am I ever going to have a family? How am I going to have a job? How am I going to fulfill my dreams like this? Because honestly, it's like 24-7 other than when you sleep. And even the sleep isn't necessarily peaceful. And so I remember we were driving down Maui Avenue in Fremont. So if there's anyone listening from Fremont, you know what street I'm talking about. And... There was this negative thought that came like, you're going to die or your mom's going to die, like in a car, you know, because you're in the car. And that was the first time I I spoke back to the voice. And I said, I may die, but I'm not going to live my life this way anymore. And that was the first moment of empowerment that I had felt in years around this issue. And it got it, the obsessions and compulsions when you do that get more intense. And I made a decision I would try the medication, even though there were side effects. So we quite tried a couple drugs. I don't remember the names at first. And we came to the, eventually the third one, the brand drug called anaphronil. And anaphronil is a very heavy drug and it has heavy side effects. One of which is stunting your growth. And my parents debated about it. Ultimately, I was the one that made the decision. My parents never forced me to take medication. I made a decision. And probably within a six to nine month period, my growth leveled off and that was it. Also, it had the side effects of making your mouth dry. So I had cotton mouth. I had dry mouth. So I drank a lot of water. And when you drink lots of water, you go to the bathroom a lot. So in high school, I remember between the five minute, you know, class breaks between classes, I would go to the bathroom and drink water. And sometimes during the class, I would go to the bathroom. And one of the hardest side effects was being tired. I was tired all the time and i couldn't the the drug made you tired and the irony of it was that you would have energy so i was an athlete i played sports and you could have energy and be tired at the same time which absolutely doesn't make any logical sense to anyone who hasn't experienced it because how can you have energy and be tired it's the side effect of a drug and that's the reality of it and so i would take naps sometimes one hour two hours three hours i would sleep eight hours ten hours Twelve hours, and I was always tired and if I only slept six hours, maybe once a night one time or two nights in a row, it's like I was just couldn't function and so but what happened was the the drugs started to numb the experience I still had it, it was still going on yet. It wasn't as intense. Maybe you can think of it as like 20-30% better, which is a lot actually for someone who, who's just suffering. And so, cognitive behavioral therapy was around at the time, CBT. However, it wasn't really discussed with me. I remember a, a psychologist would just tell me, well, just don't do it. And I'm thinking, yeah, well, if it's so easy, I just won't do it. But it made sense on some level, so I just developed my own system where my, if I was counting, I would stop on a non-multiple number of four, careful not to create a new multiple, or I wouldn't count or touch, and it just got more intense. It felt like a battle. It felt like a war inside. Mm-hmm. And after about nine months, those type of <laughs> obsessions and compulsions went away where these incredibly negative thoughts, you know, that were just bombarding you about being kidnapped or dying or whatever went away and the counting and touching went away. And just finally you could take like a deep breath even though you were suffering from these side effects.
0: Well, what a journey. Uh, you know, David, you have your mom there because we've invited your mother, Diane, to be with us for a few things that we're going to do on the show. So I think maybe this is a good time to just um, ask Diane and welcome Diane to the show very much, doctor. It's great to have you. So you've been hearing your son talk about this and and I was just wondering just, you know, kind of briefly if you could say what it was like from your perspective of seeing your son go through this. What was that time like?
2: It was very frightening and we were my husband and I were so worried and honestly afraid. Of what's happening to David, and we didn't pick up on it, like David said, right away. Um Then we started noticing things like he couldn't come to the car right away if we were going somewhere as if, you know, getting in the car to leave. He had to stand back, at, and then we found out he was tapping doorknobs or tapping the door. He couldn't leave yet, and he would start lining his shoes up, uh, certain orders, And then I watched him walk across like the hardwood floor and it wasn't just walking, it was skipping certain, uh, boards or certain, you know, lines in the wood and started putting things together and you can see the fear. When this happened with ice cream, the initial the initial shock of the poster which honestly was so frightening i couldn't look at it either and every parent's fear is something happening to their child so we came home but for like david said to throw away his ice cream that was totally out of character and his whole his whole countenance changed at that moment everything and he went to the bedroom and I go in and when my husband came home we let him be but then we'd go in and try to comfort him and and it wasn't happening and he was deep somewhere in his mind, in his pain, in his fears. But like David said, he could cover a lot up and because he was David was always very fun. He was a fun child, charismatic, never a dull moment. He was busy all the time. So that part, a lot of that stayed. But, um, it was frightening. And I'm so thankful. Honestly, my husband and I have a good marriage and solid and we can talk about things. So we were working together. What can we do for David? And to take your child to a psychiatrist is kind of frightening because. We knew something was wrong. We had no idea what. And we knew we needed help. We needed a lot of help. I must tell you, um, we both have, our family has great faith in God, and that got us through it. Church, rosaries, all these different things. If I didn't have faith, I don't know how I would have gotten through it. And um, that brings some sort of, hope and peace through all the trials and suffering and sorrows. And David worked hard um, to change these things, and once uh, he developed, I didn't realize that's when he stopped tapping everything, like he said, but then he developed an anger and a rage. And that disrupted so many things because if he got a thought, someone um, slighted him or something wasn't right or something wasn't fair, whatever it could be, he would ponder it and think about it and obsess about it. And then there could be a blow up, um, screaming, anger. So anger begets anger. And that was happening in our home um, and other places. And David has always had a loving heart, always. Even as a child, he'd help other kids and do things. And he was always a loving person. So through all of this, there was the love within him. And when your child can't control a temper or would say awful things and blow up and you never knew what would set him off, it's so disconcerting and, and heartbreaking because we thought, what kind of a life is David going to have? What in the world can he do and how can we help him? Because we wanted to help. And we, we did our best at the time. That's about all I can say. And not letting family members know or other people know, um, caused its own problems hurt feelings when things came out when David finally told so we never meant to hurt anybody but if anyone's been in a situation like this you manage the best way that you can and for us it was prayer and support and uh, loving support of each other and faith that was really that that really got me through so You were going to say something, Dr. Carol, and I I kept talking.
0: No, it was great. I was just going to say, I mean, you brought it home that when when someone has um, any kind, well, we'll just talk about mental, you know, challenges uh, and disorders such as this So it can be related to many other things, but it's not just that person who's affected. It's a whole network. That's affected the whole family. It's the community, which is why you know the, these traumas, whether it's a health issue, whether it's a, um, you know a relationship issue, just the the, the the ripples go out, and so many people are part of the, the the drama, the suffering. You know, it just doesn't stop at that one
2: place, that, that is person, or the or the you know, That you know. is so true. Yes.
0: Yeah so um so let's um let's talk about um uh david let's let's talk about what change in your life that uh, brought about the healing of o c d because I know in talking with you previously um uh, it it's believed that you can never heal from this condition. You just manage it. Manage it with uh, uh, either finding you know behaviors or medications. But the thought of actually totally healing it, not having this compulsive behavior at all evermore, is considered, uh, I guess, you know, miraculous to 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 even have that occur. What happened for you?
1: So, yes, you're you're totally correct for. OCD and Western medicine, there is no cure. They teach you to manage your life. And the solutions are obviously behavioral management systems and medication. And yet, learning to manage your life isn't that fun. And I've, I've done it. It's not fun because you're still suffering. And so, you know, I'd gone through high school. I'd gone through university. And... Your, your energy goes down, right, over over time. So in high school, I had more energy, obviously, than in my mid-20s, although I still had a lot of energy, don't get me wrong. But it wasn't the same. And so you could feel this, this drug, you know, just making you tired and you're just wondering, how am I ever going to really be happy? Because people want to be healthy and people want to be happy. Those are the two universal truth on some level for human human beings. And so what happened was I was searching inside. I wasn't someone who was meditating in caves or doing anything like that. I left a, led a pretty wild active lifestyle in some respects. And I was searching. I was searching for that happiness. Many people, they live life like they eat cookies, right? You have one cookie... And then you feel good and then shortly after you want another cookie and another cookie. And that's the way many people live. They're searching outside of themselves. They're searching for that happiness, that joy. and They're trying to get out of their inner suffering, their inner misery. So in my mid-twenties, I was actually at a a party and I got thrown into a pool. And my ear clogged up. (laughs) And I tried to get it undone. And I couldn't, and so I, I googled on, you know, I, I searched on the internet and I found an alternative health practitioner and spiritual healer, and I called her. And then in the meantime, before I went and saw her, I, you know, I got the the wax out of my ear with one of those suction devices. And I went to her, and this was way out there for me, okay? It wasn't <laughs> like something like I was doing. It just Something inside of me wanted to go, and the other part was like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but let's go see. And I went, and she did some alternative healing. She did some spiritual healing. And I could literally hear on my my mobile phone 50% better. I had to reduce the volume, and it stayed that way. And so I said, wow, something happened here. She also was a student of Dr. and Dr. Master Zhigong Sha, and she was telling me about him, but I was like, okay, this is enough already, what I'm doing, you know, I was already uncomfortable, I went back a second time, I went back a third time, and she was telling me about Master Sha and this, this training program he was offering, and I still was like, oh, I don't know, and she handed me a piece of paper, and I felt like this like light explosion in my head, And I'm not one that had all these experiences, okay? I wasn't like some people. And so I read it, and I just felt like this calling inside of me to know more. So I went to the website. I didn't fully understand what was happening. I went to Master Shaw. We offered free service. At that time, they were free uh, remote spiritual healing blessing teleconferences. And I joined, and... I honestly didn't know the first couple of times. I didn't know if I believed what Master Shaw was saying, but I was 100% sure Master Shaw believed everything he was saying. And so that actually meant a lot to me because I was kind of like a devil's advocate in many senses growing up after the diagnosis, looking for the angle, looking for what's wrong. And I, couldn't, I was sure Master Shaw believed everything he was saying. I wasn't sure. I went to a retreat. A soul retreat and I learned all about the soul the power and abilities of the soul and how the seal, soul how the soul can heal and transform every aspect of your life and your soul journey and with that my my journey began I received many spiritual blessings Tao blessings at the retreat and after one week I came home and I was different I used to be this kind of rage driver. I would be the guy that would drive really fast, cut you off, want to get everywhere fast. And I was driving on the freeway, and I was like, whoa, this is too intense. And then my mind was like, what happened? This is so not like me. (laughs) And then I went home, and I saw in my life these interactions with others differently. Where before, you know, sometimes people give the bait to get a reaction – they were baiting me and I wasn't reacting. I was just laughing inside because it was just like, like it was just like watching it happen in front of you and know it's going on and not responding and responding now with love and, and forgiveness. And my whole life changed. And I, I learned these self healing practices. I did them. I received more blessings and I went to more events with master Shaw. And Seven months after I met Master Shah, I knew I was healed. Master Shah had offered this this incredible Tao blessing. I knew I was healed. I just knew it. And I went to my doctor, my psychiatrist. Master Shah always encouraged me to work with my medical doctors. He would never give me medical guidance. He would say, go speak to your medical doctor. And so I went to my psychiatrist who is a very renowned psychiatrist. You know, he's one of the psychiatrists at a hospital in the Bay Area. And I looked at him. I said, I am healed. And then he just stared at me <laughs> for like a minute. And he said, tell me about it. <laughs> and so I told him about it. And he said, well, we can take you off the drug. that was anaphronil. You know, we have to wean you off it because it, It's a heavy drug with very hard side effects that you can have all kinds of withdrawal symptoms, which I had experienced because sometimes you go into a rebellious mood and you don't take your medication for a week and then you have like diarrhea and runs and nightmares and then you just go back to the medication. And so he he agreed to wean me off it over a period of three to four months. And he also told me that And 50% of the people who have taken this drug, if you try and get back on it, it won't work again. I said, that's okay, I'm healed. And so I I weaned off the drug, and one year to the day after meeting Master Shah, and that was uh, June 8, 2004. So on June 8, 2005, I never, ever took my OCD medication again. And my whole life changed the way I interacted with people my relationships improved you know that 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 volatile situation in the household with my parents not knowing how I'm going to react it was gone He was able to be more loving and forgiving connecting the heart to heart soul to soul away I was meditating I was doing spiritual practice the music I listened to changed not because I mean I used to listen to everything all kinds of music, but it's because I didn't resonate with it anymore. And I became spiritual, and I was able to live in my higher potentials, my, my true self. And these things, these abilities, this goodness that's inside of you that you know is there, that's hard to express when you're suffering from a mental disorder, could come out, and it could grow. Not only come out, but Master Shah's techniques helped me to grow and evolve. And so... It was absolutely incredible and and what happened was I was off medication and I was, I was lucky to have health insurance because I grew up on my father's medical, you know, health insurance. And what happened is after you're out of university, you have to get your own, but I am like a red flag for the medical industry. I also had hypothyroidism, which I was healed of. And I was a red flag. And so somehow, I wasn't supposed to, but I got on, like, the worst plan you could have for my age. And in my mid-20s, you know, probably like 20, 24, 25, whatever the age that was. And I had to pay a very high health insurance premium. I was paying um, literally, like, six, $7,000 a year to have health insurance, not to use it. And on the first $10,000 you spend every year, you you are responsible for like the first Hmm. $7,000. And so literally, it was just like, it's the way it was. And after four to five years of being off medication, I, and being not off the, only the medication for the OCD, but the hypothyroidism, I, Reapplied and I was approved for normal health insurance at a much reduced rate, which is, to me, it's a miracle. Mm-hmm. And then that went on, and after uh, nine years, I went back to my my doctor, and and he wrote up this incredible letter, and I can read some of it to you. You know, he uh, in this letter. Um, my wait, you know what?
0: Wait, you know David, we probably let's hold that because I want us to do um some of the healing techniques, and I know we have uh maybe about ten minutes left of our show, so I wanna be sure we put all of the other goodies that we've planned for the show in it, so okay um so so but w- what I wanna ask you before we talk about the healing that so you you, well, you have actually dedicated your life to the work with Dr. and Master Shaw, and you are. Uh, one of his, I, I think the title is Grand Master Trainer. You've really, you really, you're really one of the leading teachers in, in with Master Sha and his healing work. I mean, you, you know, what when I hear your story and what you've been through, um, it's like you've totally transformed your life and you found your true mission. And without that event that happened early in your life, you, who knows? But probably would not have arrived in the same place. We, we never know. But through that journey, you found this profound mission and gifts because now you are healing other people. Now you have been given the ability to uh, provide blessings for people, healing for people, and uh, change their lives. And so I find that just so inspirational, someone who's come from such a difficult uh, childhood and, and lost in a sense, you found your way and you found your greater purpose and how you're serving others in a most profound way. So, uh, you know, I really acknowledge you for uh, the path you've taken and the commitment to uh, arrive at this moment where you are really doing such amazing work. So I think I really want to say that, that you are considered one of the highest level teachers that Master Shah has trained and has transferred uh, so much of the healing gifts that he has. So uh, one question real quick, have you actually helped other people with OCD heal?
1: Um, I have worked with some people with OCD, actually not so many um, for some reason, and they're in process. You know, healing OCD is one of those conditions that can take time. And as you know, there's no promises. There's no guarantees. We always encourage people to work with their Western medical doctors and whatever system they're working, working with. And so, but, you know, there's been so many different conditions because Master Shah's techniques and systems work on everything. Where, you know, I've seen chronic back pain, arthritis, Whatever, 25, 30 years, those people have reported that they, you know, it's released. There's been people with, with using Master MasterShot's system with cancer, with all kinds of different health conditions or just relationships. Like I have a student in London where he's more in love with his wife now than when he married her. And his business, his career is flourishing on levels that it's never, ever reached before. And so there's just literally everything. There's been students and clients who've had such incredible self-love and not good enough issues where it's so deep and so painful where they just feel horrible and everything where that's gone and they can enjoy life. Or, you know, like burning in the arms have gone away where the person couldn't work anymore, now they can work. Or people fear of public speaking. Are now actually teaching and holding workshops, and they've been—they've been—they received an incredible transformation for those issues. And so, literally, so many different aspects of life. We can go on and on and on. I know we only have so many minutes left. But literally, day, I'm happy to so, work with anyone.
0: So let's uh, in the in the few minutes we have left, and I uh, and then I'll give the website because you are the director of the Dow Academy. And we'll let people know how to get in touch with you and the courses and the website for um, Master Sean in a minute. But um, you are going to share with us a very simple uh, practice that has tremendous abilities or tremendous possibility of healing. And uh, and and Diane, your mom is here because she had an amazing experience. So. so, David, let's do this. Why don't you briefly describe what we're going to do, and then I'd love to hear from Diane to, to um, hear her story of what happened to her when she used this simple technique, and then we're going to share it with people. And and if, as if people listening, I really encourage you to practice this technique. It's simple. And then let me know what you discover when you can access an ability to bring healing into your body, into your cells, and, and heal whatever needs healing. So. So, David, tell us what this technique is. Let's start there.
1: Okay. So for those that are listening, this technique comes from the book Soul, Mind, Body, Medicine. And you can get it on Amazon. And it is the, it's the Say Hello Healing Formula. And it's simple, it's powerful, it's direct, and it's effective. And in five sentences... You can you do an invocation and you can use it as a repetitive mantra. So you say hello, dear soul, mind and body of my and you pick an area of your life that needs healing. And then you give love. I love you. And as we Master Shah teaches, love melts all blockages and transforms all life. And then you make an affirmation. You have the power to heal yourself. So you're you're telling yourself and you believe you can heal. And then you give yourself an order. Do a good job. And finally, you express gratitude and courtesy, and you say thank you. So it's that simple. And this can activate these incredible self-healing powers and the power to heal within your own soul, heart, mind, and body. And this is a self-healing practice.
2: Okay, so before we go through it, Diane, tell us what happened to you. Okay, I'll, I'll happily tell you. First of all, I would just like to say thank you to Dr. and Master Shaw for all of the gifts he's given to David and our family and all the things we've learned from him. Because I always knew Jesus would heal David, but I never knew how. And then he met Dr. Shaw and all of these wonderful things have unfolded. So David taught me this practice that he had just mentioned And I listened, and I thought, okay, okay, my prayer life was different. The way I do things was different. Um, And so I was out in the garden and pruning roses and doing things, and I had uh, bent over, like squatted down to get some things on the ground, and I couldn't get up. I felt my knees go, both knees. And I thought, what am I? I said, oh, sweet Jesus, what am I going to do? I'm leaving on a vacation in a week, and I can't even walk or move. You could feel everything go, all of it. And I literally could not move. I had, I knew I was in trouble. So I always asked Jesus everything, what do I do? And all of a sudden, I remembered what David said. So I said, dear soul mind body of my beautiful knees, I love you, I honor you, I appreciate you. You have the power to heal yourself. Now do a good job, please. Within minutes, I could feel the heal, I could literally feel the physical healing in my knees, and I was thinking, "Wow." Oh, wow. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And it it was mind-boggling that it happened just like that. And when I knew I could stand up, I did. I went over to the patio chair. David was at an event, I think, with Dr. Shaw in Toronto. And I said, David, you won't believe what just happened. Because really, I hadn't paid a lot of attention to this technique except when I needed it, it was right there. So it works, and I've used it for other things, and I know we're on a time limit. So thank you, Dr. Cheryl. (laughs) Well, I'm going to
0: um,
2: uh, put that little
0: formula uh, on the uh, archive show so when people uh go to Dr. Cheryl Selman or the Facebook page what women must know and download it. I think drshaw.com is going to have the show. Um the um the little formula is going to be there. So you want to be sure to um go to Dr. Cheryl Selman opt in and I'll send it out to you. So um so David in the next couple of minutes so we've got a couple of minutes, so why don't you just take us through it again and anything else that we need to know if we do this simple little formula.
1: Thank you. So everyone sit up straight and put one hand below your navel and the other hand on the area of your body that you need a self-healing for. And if you can't reach it or you're not sure, put it over your heart. Close your eyes and visualize golden light radiating in that area. For soul power, or say hello, we're gonna say hello and we're gonna just repeat this as a mantra. So you can repeat after me. With me. Dear soul, mind, and body of my, and choose your area, my heart, my relationship, my finance, whatever you're choosing, my knee. I love you. You have the power to heal yourself. Do a good job. Thank you Dear soul, mind, and body of my Say the same request I love you You have the power to heal yourself Do a good job Thank you Dear soul, mind, and body of my Say the request I love you You have the power to heal yourself. Do a good job. Thank you. And two more times. Dear soul, mind, and body of my, I love you. You have the power to heal yourself. Do a good job. Thank you. Dear soul, mind, and body of my, I love you. You have the power to heal yourself. Do a good job. Thank you. Just pay attention to the way you feel. You could feel a vibration, a tingling. You may not be sure you felt anything. What I can say is we all can practice more and continue to use this practice. You can use it 30 minutes, 60 minutes or more, however long is needed, day after day. It's been an honor to share with you this technique from Master Shah, the Say Hello Healing Formula from Soul, Mind, Body, Medicine book. Thank you, Dr. Cheryl.
0: (laughs) Thank you, David. You know, that's fantastic. So simple, yet so profound. And thank you, Diane, for sharing your healing story. They always inspire us. So um, for all of you listening, thank you for joining me today with my guest, David lush and his mom diane lush for being with us for sharing their amazing healing story and for david sharing a wonderful healing formula um do a good job everyone go make it happen (laughs) and uh and until next time uh come back for another opportunity for the love code and as i always like to say fill your day with peace love and harmony bye for now